This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie's off tonight. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first breaking details in that crash of a small plane on the Sunshine Coast. Four members of the same family were on board. The pilot, the only one to not survive. It happened in Seashelt. Fire crews say the plane went down shortly after takeoff. Sources tell Global News the three survivors include a man, a teenage boy, and a three-year-old girl. They were all able to walk away from the crash, but did go to hospital in stable condition. There are suggestions the Piper Cherokee 140 may have hit a wind gust pushing it into the forested area just as it took off. We'll bring you more details as soon as they're available to us. And right now, new concerns about the quest for social media stardom and whether it played a role in the tragic deaths of three young Vancouverites. Riker Gamble, Megan Mindy Scraper, and Alexi Lyak died after slipping and falling at Shannon Falls in Squamish. All of them frequent YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram users, their exotic experiences, followed by hundreds of thousands of fans. RCMP have yet to confirm if the trio were filming at the time, but as John Waugh reports, experts warn social media is creating a dangerous popularity contest. Imagine you knew the exact amount of time you had left right now. Their message was to make every second in life count. And the members of High on Life, based out of Vancouver, traveled the world proving they were doing just that. But time was tragically cut short for half the High on Life group at Shannon Falls. It's a sad lesson, you know, for everybody when something like that happens. It's a beautiful scenery, but it's really sad. The three hikers who fell over the falls to their deaths Tuesday identified as couple Megan Scraper and Alexei Lyak and their close friend, Riker Gamble. He lived his life to the fullest, and he always did, and, you know, I'm trying to remember what he gave to the world. That gift was bringing hundreds of thousands of people along for the wild ride via social media, but attracting people to the journey included risk. Lyak and Scraper posting this video just a week ago on the recently fire-ravaged Ladner Creek Trestle Bridge. There's obviously a push nowadays to the drive of social media to get that perfect shot. Um, there are, uh, you know, very apparent risks that come with that. That push had gotten the High on Life members in trouble in the past. U.S. authorities hitting Gamble and Lyak with jail time and fines for being caught in a restricted area at Yellowstone National Park. When you do things where you're trying to produce content and you're trying to earn an audience, the more interesting the content, uh, or at the end of the day, the larger risk you took, might be uh, the thing that gets the, gar the, the most likes. But friends say outside the call of social media, The Vancouver vlogs are just about to begin. When it came down to it, the three were there for each other. It's believed when Scraper first fell into the water at the top of Shannon Falls, Lyak and Gamble jumped in to try to save her. He gave a lot in his short life, so I'm really, really proud of, of him and all of his friends. Would you change what you're doing today? Their message was to live life like there was little time left. Still friends say those that were lost 
had so much more to give. John Hua, Global News. A pair of serious fires caused major damage overnight in Vancouver. A popular restaurant went up in flames around 5 o'clock this morning, forcing neighboring tenants from their homes with little more than the clothes on their backs. Our Jill Bennett is live on 4th Avenue tonight with more on why this was a very difficult fire to fight. Jill. Chris, that building housing the Topanga Cafe, more than 100 years old, and fire crews say it's likely there were many renovations over the years leading to void spaces. Those are empty spaces where that fire was able to spread, at one point even jumping the firewall. When fire crews arrived, there were flames coming through the roof of the building. Once a fire burns inside the building, the roof caves in and then it traps all the fire underneath the part of the roof that's caved in and we can't really access it so it keeps burning and we basically have to let it burn through the collapsed roof so that we can uh, put it out. Smoke was thick in the area as the fire continued to burn in the building that was more than 100 years old. The fire so large the plume could be seen from kilometers away. I basically like met my family there. I had so many friends there. Like. No one, no, none of us know what to do. Like so many friends, so many memories there. Like it's not just a restaurant to some people. Sophie Bakos worked at the Topanga Cafe. The popular eatery that opened in Kitsilano 40 years ago was destroyed in the fire. Flames also spread, gutting neighboring businesses. Uh, just shock, just total shock. Well, they told me that it started in Topanga. That's what they they told me, and they they said that um, it came over onto our roof and they tried to contain it uh, but it just spread and they couldn't contain it and the next thing you know um, it's all been gutted. Residents of the two apartments on the second floor all got out uninjured but one couple actually celebrating their 15th wedding anniversary today lost everything. I didn't have any indication that we would lose everything today when we saw the flames at the back. I thought oh they'll be able to just get that out. Neighboring condos were also evacuated and might have some damage, but residents say losing the cafe is tough. I joke that it's my, my second uh, kitchen. It's very quick, you know, all the time. It's always amazing. And their chocolate cake is literally to die for. Well, hopefully they can get back up and running. Some theories, as we heard there, Jill, about where the fire started, but do they know why? Chris, the fire investigator has been here all day. We know the fire started on the ground level in the back near the alley. So it's likely, it's believed that it did start in the Topanga Cafe. But what's not known at this point is exactly what sparked it, to what caused that fire. It could take some time for the investigator to figure that out. Uh, in the meantime, the excavation crew is still here. The road is still closed. And many people in this neighborhood uh, really sad at the loss of that landmark. Chris? It will be missed by locals and beyond for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Jill. That's Jill Bennett reporting. And meantime, in Surrey, Surrey and Delta fire crews were busy tackling a major fire along the border of those communities. It broke out at a townhouse complex that was under construction, but the flames were so intense, embers spread across the street, burning into nearby homes. Sonia Diol has more on the extent of the damage. Oh, now it's collapsed. Holy shit. A shocking sight for Surrey residents woken up at one in the morning. Sounded like a couple of bombs went off. A townhouse complex under construction going up in flames on 62 and 121A. Fire crews telling people to get out immediately. It came up, broke my door down, came up to my bedroom and 
said, get out, there's fire. But it's how this fire spread that's left residents on both sides of Scott Road stunned. It was like shooting stars, man. Huge embers flying over from Surrey into Delta, carried by the wind that was pushing in that direction. The whole sky was like it was on fire. There was actually sparks, and, and so we were driving through those. And yeah, Scary. It, it was insane. <laughs> This garden shed, at least half wow. a mile away, left completely destroyed. Residents on the Delta side of Scott Road saying fireballs the size of tennis balls were bouncing off people's roofs. Once it uh, contacted the cedar roofs, uh, it was just uh, uh, something like the guys have never seen before. But remarkably, no significant damage to nearby homes where the fire actually started. The crews did a, did a fantastic job. I mean, these houses aren't that far away from that, and the, uh, the amount of heat that was coming off of that fire would have been... Uh, enough to definitely start something. Today, the company behind the townhouse complex, Woodbridge Homes Limited, confirmed the project is a complete write-off. What were meant to be 38 brand new townhomes ready for people to move into in October, now just a burnt pile of rubble. The company says no homeowners have been affected because these houses hadn't yet actually gone on the market. Now investigators, along with fire officials and the RCMP, trying to work out the cause of this three-alarm fire, while residents are breathing a sigh of relief. We are so lucky to have our fire crews that responded so fast and looked after everybody and checked we were all okay and got the fire under control. And I'm outside the site right now, Chris. You can smell the burnt structure in the air. And if you just take a look at this, there's still patches of smoke uh, rising from the remains. Now, in terms of the investigation, fire officials telling me it could be days, even weeks before they know what caused such a huge blaze. Back to you. All right, Sonia, we'll wait for an update there. Thank you. RCMP also confirming tonight one person has died in an explosion that leveled a home in West Kelowna. The victim, one of four people inside the rental home when the explosion happened without warning just before 10 o'clock last night. Fire crews were forced to fight the flames from the outside because of structural damage to the home and the risk of more explosions. We found a very chaotic scene. We had multiple patients with severe injuries. The house was fully involved. We had uh, numerous calls. Uh, we had calls from as far away as Glen Rosa, several kilometers away. Two other victims were airlifted to hospital in Vancouver for serious burns. The fourth person was released with minor injuries. A group of teens out enjoying a summer beach party when the unthinkable happened. One of the teens was hit by a passing train on nearby tracks. Jennifer Palma explains what we know about how it all unfolded and the calls for better safety measures. Emergency vehicles light up a chaotic scene at a popular gathering spot in Crescent Beach. A teen is struck by a passenger Amtrak train. Members of the Crescent Beach Swim Club, trained in emergency response, try to help and save the young life. We're on the phone with a friend and we actually came down in response to what happened. It was afterwards. Evan Hagedorn was a passenger on the train heading back from Washington State when the fatal collision happened around 10 last night near the Christofferson Stairs and 24th Avenue. He describes seeing about 30 youth on the beach. He says the train was delayed for three and a half hours as the investigation took place. I see a group of teenagers running along the beach with their flashlights on and then I see a fireman. And I'm like, okay, something's, something's definitely up. I can still see the girl's face right near my car, just like, just like pure shock on her face. 
Today, friends of the grade 9 Elgin Park Secondary School student were grieving on Crescent Beach. On hand, a counselor, vice principal, and principal. The student was um, connected very largely in the community, not just at our school, but in the entire um, Ocean Park and the South Sur area. So they're having a tough time today. There are many theories as to why the teen was hit by the train, but what is known is that large gatherings are common on the beach, and the school year just wrapped up. The circumstances uh, around the fatality uh, and leading up to the fatality are still under investigation. Crescent Beach residents are vocal about their concerns of how busy the BNSF tracks are. If you actually came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to go away, what could you do to make it uh, so they could both cohabitate safely. Maybe there's something that could be done. The family of the young deceased male teen has asked for privacy during this difficult time. To help his schoolmates, the school is offering meetings with counselors over the next two days. However, for some, just being on the beach and leaving flowers is also a way to deal with their grief. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for some help identifying a serial vandal responsible for a lot of damage. As many as 80 vehicles have been targeted in recent weeks. Nadia Stewart is following the story for us. Nadia, police say there appears to be no rhyme or reason. Yeah, police say there appears to be no obvious motive for this crime spree. And they say the vehicles that were hit appear to be chosen at random. It's like the signature has an M or something or Z, I don't know. Doris Lee is still upset and baffled by the random act of vandalism committed in her quiet Dunbar neighborhood just 10 days ago. Someone scratched her car in three places while it was parked overnight on West 37th. Very upset and kind of scared. Say, oh, what happened? And maybe just my car, or, or but it's not just seven cars in this whole block. Lee and her neighbors now counted among the 80 Vancouverites whose vehicles have been vandalized since March. Police say the lone vandal appears to be randomly targeting vehicles in Dunbar, Carisdale and Kitsilano, scratching the letter Z or M and in some cases a smiley face onto the hood or door. Emblems have also been ripped off and soft car tops slashed. Some vehicles have been hit twice. They're parking at their houses, uh, they're parking on the street, they're not doing anything wrong. What's wrong here is the person's victimizing these vehicles for no apparent reason, and we want to hold them responsible. Police don't yet have a description of the individual. They're hoping this surveillance video might help. We don't really have a specific description other than what you see in the video. So what we'd want the public to do is if they see anyone out acting suspicious near vehicles or have a hint of who this may be, male or female, to give us a call. So far, the total damage has surpassed $100,000, and police are now appealing to the public to keep an eye out in their neighborhood for any suspicious activity. Back to you. All right, Nadia Stewart in Vancouver. Thank you. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, was a Best Picture nominee at the recent Academy Awards, but a similar story is playing out in real life on Vancouver Island. A woman desperate for clues in the disappearance of her teenage daughter 25 years ago, a case that's still unsolved. Kylie Stanton reports on the roadside appeal for information. She literally vanished. For the past quarter century, this mother has been stuck somewhere between grief and hope. But today, she's more determined than ever to find some answers. If Lindsay was abducted, whoever 
took her is still out there. It's been 25 years since her 14-year-old daughter, Lindsay Nichols, disappeared without a trace. She was last seen on the morning of August 2nd, 1993, walking along Royston Road in the Comox Valley on her way to meet friends. She never arrived. Police suspected foul play, but despite a long-running investigation, there's still no information on what happened to her. We've excavated three different sites, uh, had persons of interest spoken to in over 15 uh, polygraph examinations, uh, and we continue to work in this active investigation with an end to, to find what happened to Lindsay. There have also been press conferences. We need to know. Posters. A Crime Stoppers reenactment. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And hundreds of leads. We do continue to get new tips all the time. But now the family has decided it's going big. The billboards allowed us to mark the anniversary and also to bring awareness to the community. The idea may look familiar. The more you keep a case in the public eye, the better your chances are getting it solved. Inspired by the Oscar-winning film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, the family is putting up three billboards here, outside Courtney, hoping the exposure will trigger memories and someone will come forward with new information about the case. There's answers here. There's information that the RCMP will be able to take and they will be able to find Lindsay, and this community will be able to come together again. I think we got kind of a problem. Unlike the movie, Peterson is not calling out the police. <laughs> no, that's not the case here. Instead, the family is just hoping to help with three simple messages. This is her. This is a picture of her. She's still missing. Somebody knows something, and please call. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Some troubling news out of the Okanagan today with word that RCMP are now linking nearly 30 deliberately set fires over the past four years. Investigators say evidence collected from 29 wildfires from Lake Country to Osoyoos indicate they were arson and they are connected. The fires were set between July of 2014 and September of 2017. Worst of all, most were set in interface areas near where people lived. Now, one of those fires, which started on July 15th last year in Lake Country, destroyed eight homes and outbuildings. More than 650 people were evacuated. Luckily, there were no injuries or fatalities, but police say the potential for tragedy was considerable. Anytime there are wildfires uh, that occur, uh, whether they occur in very rural areas or whether they occur near homes and communities, uh, certainly um, the risk is substantial. And it was almost exactly a year ago that the largest fire in the worst fire season in B.C. history was first spotted. The Elephant Hill Fire burned thousands of hectares of forest and more than 200 homes and buildings. Ted Chernecki takes a look back and a look at how conditions then compare to today. Boston Flats today, a ghost town. 45 of 49 mobile homes went up in flames and the other four rendered uninhabitable. It was a scene that played out throughout the province in the worst wildfire season on record. It was pretty intense. And uh, when we left here, I just said goodbye. I figured it would be gone. But this July doesn't appear to be as dry as last year, at least not yet. July and August are typically the busiest months of fire season, and Environment Canada is still calling for a hotter and drier than average summer. More than 1,300 fires in all. At the Elephant Hill fire alone, 120 homes were lost. The province ended up spending $560 million fighting fires. 
and a lot of time fending off criticism that there was too much confusion about who was in charge. We are better prepared, I think, as to who uh, declares a, uh, a, a local uh, evacuation order. Here's the Forest Service's fire risk map of the province last July, and you can see just how dry it was. Compare that to this July, and everyone's suddenly grateful for a relatively wet June. But there's still four months of fire season, and the province promises the resources will be there. Every year, you know, there is a, 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 an amount in the budget, but the reality is, is governments will spend what is required to get the situation under control. It was burning its way up towards the towers. One year later, and, and it's those who narrowly escaped last year who feel safer, even if it does heat up and dry out again. I don't think there's much left to burn up there now, but uh, it, uh, you're very, it makes you very uh, wary. Four of the most damaging fires in B.C. history all started in late July to early October. Ted Chernacki, Global News. It's an unexpected and unwanted pyrotechnic show in Kentucky after a 4th of July fireworks tent was set ablaze. Police say this is one of three arsons set last night, one of which damaged a home. Luckily, no one was injured in any of them. And a spectacular car crash caught on camera as police chased a suspected drunk driver. A security camera captures the car literally flying into the side of a house. Police say the driver was drunk and sped off when they tried to pull him over. He was clocked at nearly 130 kilometers an hour. Remarkably, he popped up out of the wreckage unhurt and was arrested immediately. Luckily, no one in the house was hurt. Time is of the essence for rescue crews trying to free a team of young soccer players trapped in a cave in Thailand. They've brought in some new equipment to try to make more room for the rescue effort and get rid of the water that's causing all the problems. Bill Neely reports. The world is watching them, but they want out. A dozen boys with brave faces, their rescuers with one huge problem, flood water. Divers struggling to fight it. The boys still too weak to cross it. They can't swim, and it's six hours to the cave entrance. They're getting a crash course on diving, but the risks are deadly. The narrow passageways a trap, even for the experts. It's quite challenging, obviously. Uh, there's zero visibility, it's a confined space, uh, so it's, it's a challenge. Rescuers are drilling and digging, and it's desperate because it's a race against time, getting rid of water before the monsoon rains fill the caves again. They are pumping millions of gallons of water out of the caves every day. Meanwhile, up on the hills, up to 30 teams are looking for holes or shafts they could use to winch the boys out. With no rain for three days, commanders are now tempted to try a fast rescue. Yesterday, they said they needed 100% certainty there were no risks. Today, if there's 90% safety, says the governor, we're ready to bring the boys out. Two of them had birthdays this week. No celebrations here, just preparations for a rescue that can't come soon enough. Another grisly development in the investigation into an alleged serial killer in Toronto. Warmer weather finally allowed police to search a ravine near a home where accused killer Bruce MacArthur once worked as a landscaper. Now they're trying to determine whether they have an eighth victim. 
I'm not responsible for any, any injuries. Down a wooded ravine below the house where alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur used to landscape in Leaside, the lead detective guides the media, clinging to a rope to carefully climb down the escarpment. Okay, watch your back there, buddy. This is, this is as far as we're going to go. Okay. It's here we get an unprecedented look behind the scenes of the latest crime scene allegedly linked to the 66-year-old accused of eight counts of first-degree murder where investigators say more human remains were found Wednesday, just a few weeks after cadaver dogs indicated there was something here worth digging up. The first time we're finding remains in, in a location other than the planters, uh, what does that tell you? Does this change the, the scope of your investigation now? Again, we have to uh, rely on identifying those remains first and see where that, that takes us, whether they're remains of somebody else uh, who hasn't been identified yet. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. The guided tour of the latest crime scene, believed to be associated with MacArthur, came moments after a news conference updating the case. And, uh, looking for any further human remains. A last-minute decision, say police. Some reporters not exactly dressed for the hike. I've never known of any other case like this where they've shown the media um, a crime scene like this, but then again, I've never known of anybody that's been charged with eight murders either. This former detective who spent 17 years in the Toronto Police Homicide Squad says it's highly unusual, but given a judge is now examining how the Toronto Police handled the missing persons cases, it is a smart move. What it's showing the public is that we're doing the best we can, we're being transparent, this is what we have. Yet another memorable day covering the largest forensic investigation ever in the history of the Toronto Police. Catherine McDonald, Global News. The Donald Trump administration has lost another high-profile member. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt has resigned after being embroiled in a number of scandals. Pruitt had been under fire for countless ethical questions about his travel spending, security costs, dealings with lobbyists, and misuse of government resources. His resignation letter blamed unrelenting attacks on him and his family. Officials in Quebec are pleading with people who have underlying health problems to seek medical help before it's too late. The death toll in that province from a seven-day heat wave has reached 33, more than half of them in Montreal. Officials say they're doing everything they can, but with the heat and humidity feeling like 45 degrees and a smog alert, people with underlying conditions are very vulnerable. Thankfully, the temperature is expected to start dropping tomorrow. A team of ocean explorers is about to set off from Vancouver Island to study a world that for most of us is as difficult to reach as outer space. They're heading for dormant volcanoes hundreds of meters beneath the ocean's surface. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, you can even watch it all live. Few ships are as well equipped to study the world's oceans as the exploration vessel Nautilus. Today it was docked in Sydney, preparing for a 16-day exploration of seamounts off the BC coast. What are seamounts? Just picture Mount Baker underwater and picture 46 of them out there. And they're, they're amazing and they're huge and we can only, even with this trip, only study like 1% of one little mountain. Not surprisingly, there is much to learn about these enormous underwater mountain ranges and the marine life they attract. It's absolutely astounding, the, the level of biodiversity we're going to see. When we dive on these sea mountains, uh, they are like an oasis. These areas create really uh, amazing uh, current patterns around them and that helps create a really uh, rich uh, bio biological setting. 
It's the richness of seamounts that are their downfall. Many are threatened by overfishing. Knowing so little about them makes them hard to protect. Thus, the expedition, a partnership between DFO, the Haida Nation, Oceana Canada, and Ocean Networks Canada. Canada is uh, interested in making this offshore area a marine protected area, and we really want to. I really want to share with Canadian public what's out there, so they know it's worth protecting. Another reason the Nautilus is well suited for this expedition, it can stream everything live to the public. Oh, what is that? I'm stumped. Every view from underwater and a lot of the uh, footage from the ship is streamed live, so people can see it at the same time that we're seeing it on board. Wow. The Nautilus has broadcast hundreds of amazing discoveries through the years. Wow! Like this rare encounter with a curious sperm whale at 600 meters. Fantastic oh, nice view. Trying to figure it Incredible. out. Incredible. Engaging yeah. the public with live experiences at protectoceans.ca is a key goal of the expedition. We really need to get the message out there about these important places in the world. Why do we care about the ocean? What's it look like underneath? What values are we trying to protect? He is awesome. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Wow, is that ever cool? All right, could this blimp start an international incident during Donald Trump's visit to the UK? We've got the details right after our forecast. We'll check in with Christy right now. Beautiful, warm, kind of muggy day today. Oh, yes, it was hot. I'll show you the hot spot across Canada, Chris, in a second. But lots of photos coming in after a spectacular sunset last night along the east coast of Vancouver Island. This photo from Oyster Bay. Murray sent us this. He said his paddling club was out and just couldn't get enough of that sunset. I can imagine. And this is from Alert Bay. Patrick sent us this one and another one from Campbell River. And we showed one earlier from Sayward as well. Just sensational. Thanks for sending us the photos. Hot spot across Canada was litten at 36.6 degrees with the humidity, though it was only at that temperature. Not like what they're seeing out east, where at 36 degrees, it's feeling more like 40 degrees. Now on the satellite image, we had a number of areas seeing rain today across Vancouver Island. You can see the lightning strikes just north of Sayward. All of that is weakening, but it's shifting towards the lower mainland, so there is a slight chance of an isolated shower this evening for the lower mainland, maybe even a risk of a thunderstorm, but that's really a slight chance. Generally, the instability is across the central interior northern regions, and that will ease off finally for you late this evening. And when we do have a risk of thunderstorms across much of the province tomorrow. So that's going to push down into the southern interior tomorrow. And across much of Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast, up towards Whistler, watch for showers and those thunderstorms right throughout the day. It's this low-pressure center that's moving towards the coast that is going to change our pattern tomorrow. And it means a chance of showers, not only tonight, but through tomorrow and our Saturday also. So there's your Friday, everyone. Much cooler compared to what you have been seeing, and you'll see that pattern right across the province into your Saturday also. So mainly cloudy, a chance of showers, risk of thunderstorms. These areas here, it's really only a slight chance. Mostly you'll see a mix of sun and cloud, but you'll see a cooling trend over the next couple of days. South coast, yes, so unstable tomorrow. For the lower mainland, it really is only a 40% chance of showers for your Friday. So not too bad, but certainly unsettled. Better chance of showers on Saturday. The latter half of your weekend looks much drier. And I'll leave you, Chris, with a great shot from Prince George. They had a lot of fog uh, this morning, and Michelle McHugh caught this photo. Michelle, one of a number of great photographers we have across this she province. Is. She is. Frequently uh, sends photos in, but I, I, this one was really neat. I saw. Yeah, great pictures lately. Thanks very much, Christy.
Well, Donald Trump might come face to face with a very unusual protest when he visits the UK next week. Protesters have been given approval by the mayor of London to fly a blimp near Parliament depicting Donald Trump as a giant orange baby, complete with tiny hands and a diaper. City Hall at first turned down the protest, but reversed its decision after a groundswell of public support. The blimp is going to fly for two hours during a planned Stop Trump march there. And a New York couple's wedding video gives a whole new meaning to wedding crasher. The video chronicles the fairy tale wedding of Cheyenne and Lucas Kopeshka with friends, family, and a sizable wedding party. And then there's this as they're talking about what they really love about each other. Close call. Luckily, they heard the cracking in time, and the rest of the wedding went off without a hitch. I believe it is good luck when a tree almost falls on you. Oh, yeah, that's, that's at a wedding. Although he, he ran without covering her. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> like, he didn't quite. Wait a second. Yeah, she didn't need the help. If anybody thinks these two should not be joined, apparently the tree doesn't think so. <laughs> that's right. Two topics that will definitely be covered in the sportscast tonight with Squire Barnes football and football. Exactly, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at mm -hmm. it. And it's Canadian football and world football, not American football, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, it's going to be a very weird experience for the BC Lions Saturday in Winnipeg because they will line up against their old buddy, Adam Big Hill, who, of course, is now with the Bombers. Now, when he came back to the CFL from the New Orleans Saints, the Lions didn't show a lot of interest in wanting him here. One of the reasons might have been not being able to make his money, his salary, work under the cap. So now the Lions' offensive players who used to work alongside Adam Big Hill in practice will get to face his wrath for real. See if he is, if he comes back in. So the Bomber defense does not ban Adam Big Hill. Big play, big stop. New uniform, same old results for Adam Big Hill. After a year in the NFL where he basically played only special teams, Big Hill is back in his element as a middle linebacker in the CFL, where he leads the league in tackles with 21, and his former teammates are very aware he will be in their face Saturday night. He just know he's going to be around the ball all the time, and uh, you know our job is just make him miss, uh, make him think a little more. Biggie's a hustle guy, so it's just like, hey, you just got to line up, keep coming. But in those situations, you want to make sure you're the hammer and not the nail. Big Hill played 99 games for the Lions over six seasons. He was a CFL All-Star in four of them and won the CFL's Most Outstanding Defensive Player Award in 2015. You will get punished. 100 all day. Watch out, baby. 44, 56, 100. And he formed a dynamic duo with fellow linebacker Solomon Elamimian who just happens to be his best friend. So it's going to be a little weird lining up against these Lions on the weekend. You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting watching film against, uh, you know, black and orange and a lot of guys I played with. And uh, it's going to be fun going against them, you know, because we have a lot of relationships that even extend off the, off the football field. And, um, you know, I know there's a lot of competitors over there and, and they know me. So uh, it's going to be fun and we're going we're gonna to fly around. and. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely have a few conversations out there. That's my buddy. You know, we talk um, regularly throughout, you know, throughout the week, you know, a bunch, you know, close friends. I want the bragging rights. I want to come out with a W and I want to, you know, be a big reason why my team um, is able to, to win. 
The Lions will get used to playing against Big Hill. It's the first of a home-and-home -home series on consecutive weeks against the Blue Bombers. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Okay, starting tomorrow, they're going to pair eight down to four at the World Cup in Russia. Here is who is still left in the tournament, if you have forgotten. The winner of France and Uruguay will play the winner of Brazil and Belgium in the semis. The bottom half of the draw goes on Saturday. The winner of Croatia and Russia faces whoever wins the game between the English and the Swedes. Now, we went out to the Whitecaps training facility, asked some of them their thoughts on the quarterfinals, starting with the Brazilian born and raised Felipe. Brazil's been a very good team, but there is different teams as uh, France, Belgium, you know, they're teams that have shown good, but for me, tactically and organized, Brazil is the better team. I like Belgium a lot, the way they play. Um, but now in this World Cup, anything can happen. You see that Germany is out. Um, any crazy thing has happened, so who knows? <laughs> but I'm cheering for, for Belgium. The, the so-called experts' view on it is the one side of the draw is a lot harder than the other, which I think is a little bit disrespectful to the Croatians and, and the English. I think Croatia and England will get to the semi-finals. I think that Belgium might surprise Brazil. I know I'm shocking a few people there, and I think that France will be there as well. Well, England was mentioned, so let's go there. For Wimbledon action, Denis Shapovalov, Benoit Pair, Shapovalov, 26th rank in this event. Wins the first set, six love. Pair has a big bandage on his left knee. Wasn't moving so well in the first set, but apparently he got better. Won the second set, won the third set, 6-4. Look at that shot. Blooped right over Shapovalov's head. That's on the line. Shapovalov is out after winning the first set. He lost the next three. Jeannie Bouchard putting on the foil like a <laughs> slap shot. Uh, taking on Ashley Barty. Hey. Going to the net did not prove very fruitful there for Jeannie. She lost the first set 6-4. Nice little drop shot here, though. Of course, she won her first round match. Oh, crafty, cheeky, clever, all the C words. Uh, Barty, 17th seed, though, tough to beat. She won this in straight sets. Montreal Canadiens, bad news today. Shea Weber, knee surgery. They won't be seeing him until December. There you go. All right, speaking of exceptional athletes, yes. Tony Hawk, all grown up but still king of the halfpipe, even at 50. 50 is a new 30. It is. Something like that. That's coming up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Well, no shortage of fun things going on at this time of year. And one of my favorite events, the Quetzalano Street Party is on. This 10-block fair in Kits has all the food options, fun activities, beer gardens, and several stages featuring more than 50 of Vancouver's top musicians. Fridays on Front is back. Head to downtown New West for all the fun, including live music, an artisan market, and amazing food trucks. Get him and everyone else to the Greek. Vancouver Greek Summer Fest is here. In its 32nd year, it's 10 days of food, entertainment, and family fun. Bring your lawn chair and head to Deep Cove. Friday nights, enjoy live music on the outside at the scenic Panorama Park. It's family friendly, so bring the kids this week. Hot Lucy takes the mic. 
If you're a big country music fan, you should be in Castlegar. The Kootenai Country Music Festival features an extensive list of big names, including the Washboard Union, Emerson Drive, and Brett Kissel. For more on this, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Coming up on ET Canada, Big Brother host Julie Chen gives advice to her controversial house guests. And finally, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer together on the big screen. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks, Sangeeta. Well, for decades, he's defied gravity, catapulting the sport of skateboarding into a social and cultural phenomenon. Now, believe it or not, legend and businessman Tony Hawk is celebrating the big 5-0. So what does a skateboarding icon do when he hits middle age? Buy a Corvette. You know how they say kids don't try this at home? Well, if you're 50, definitely don't try this at home. Dude, happy birthday. Man. <laughs> Thank you. For Tony Hawk, this is the big 5-0 and his birthday present to himself, capturing 50 of his most epic tricks. Most people, when they turn 50, like they might go to a golf course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've had a lot of these tricks still in my back pocket. There were a few that I tried and I had to let go of. Getting older isn't easy for anyone. And for Tony Hawk, that means occasionally you fly off the ramp. Since picking up his first skateboard at nine years old, the Birdman's had his share of highs. But some tricks have taken a lot longer to master. I'd say I'm a much better parent than I was when I was younger and in the throes of all the success. I'm a much more effective father than I used to be. With son Riley following in his dad's cake flips, Hawk is now bringing the sport to kids across America through his Tony Hawk Foundation, funding 600 skate parks in low-income communities. But it was his 1999 video game, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, that first bridged the gap between those who could skate and those who wished they could. And he's not done launching into new heights. Next up, advising his skateboarding makes its Olympic debut at the 2020 Games. As for his bag of 50 birthday tricks, he actually hit 51, proving Tony Hawk can still fly. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Vista, California. Pretty amazing athlete, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Did you skateboard growing up? Uh, yeah, but I, I thought it was great if I just went down a little hill. Right. <laughs> That's right. the driveway. I don't recall anybody trying tricks, to be honest with you. The name yeah, I, I, I remember getting on, I did get on the half pipe, but on my BMX bike while everybody else was skateboarding. It wasn't. Oh, how'd that cool. go? You're a tall, tall kid with <laughs> weak right. ankles, not great for skateboarding. Uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So we do have a very slight chance of showers this evening. I think for the most part you're fine. It's tomorrow and Saturday that the showers really move in, and um, in particular Saturday. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thank you for watching. Have a great evening.